0: Welcome, dear listener. No, your podcast for repository of choice isn't broken. You have had two Monkey C, Monkey Review podcasts within the space of two weeks. Isn't this incredible? Lucky you. Lucky you. Uh, we're <laughs> back once more uh, opposite me. I say opposite me. He's actually down the other end of a phone line. Uh, we have the lovely, magical uh, Christopher Commander. Hello, 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 hello.
1: Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yes. is my reception, okay.
0: <laughs> yes, you are coming through... <laughs> Uh, loud and clear thank you very much thank you very
1: much and uh, of course across from me the interwebs is uh, the wonderful Scott Harrison
0: hi thank you very much you're very kind you're welcome very much and we are incredibly lucky to have returning back for another go round the brilliant
2: Mr Kevin Haney Hello there, chaps! Thanks for having me back. I do apologise if you can hear my cat meowing in the background. No,
0: it's not. The, it's not the first time we've had crazy, weird cat noises in the background.
1: It's very true. It's very true. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a common theme. The,
0: the second podcast we recorded actually had uh, two cats having a fight in the background. If you listen very, very carefully in the first ten
2: minutes of the podcast, what, it's a little Easter egg. You should do a, a commentary of every one of these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> the director's commentary. Yeah. I don't.
0: I don't think enough people listen. To, to the podcast actual without going back and listening to the director's commentary.
1: <laughs> we'll do a director's cut yeah. in years that, down
0: the line. That's it. That's
2: it. But, uh... mon- mon- monkey say monkey do a director's commentary of their own podcast. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. Hasn't got quite the same ringing to its it? That'd be MS, yeah. <laughs> MS, M, D, DC. C. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
1: C. All right. We have... Gone off on one of our lovely tangents again. Uh, Sorry, dear listeners.
2: So, gentlemen,
0: how have we been
2: since we last spoke? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, (laughs) they've been all right. Keeping safe, not feeling too too under the weather. I'm still uh, fortunate enough to be working. You so that's, lucky uh, that, that's what I'm doing I'm working through the lockdown I get moments of normality and then uh, the journey home it's very quiet and then I come back and watch all the TV mm. and catch up on my news from the day well this is something I'm doing because I'm, I
0: myself am working full time but I'm working from home so I'm finding that my evenings are generally <laughs> that bit more open and free to kind of use as I see fit so I've created a long list of films to uh, to kind of work through and, and catch up on so lot, lots of reviewing of films that I've not seen for a
2: while or catching up on things that I, I kind of really should have should have seen a long time ago. It's, it's, it's kind of a bizarre thing, isn't it? Because you're kind of like it's, it's almost like the first lockdown. When I was in the first lockdown, I was very much kind of like, oh, I've got so much to catch up on. And then now it's like, oh, OK. And I'm almost catching up on films that were released at the beginning of the year. Films that you probably wouldn't yeah. you would have completely forgotten about now are taking prominence on the streaming service. Yeah,
0: I mean, I for example, I Jojo Rabbit's just uh, started this week on Now TV. So I haven't had an opportunity to go pick myself the Blu-ray up because it was released during lockdown so I I took some time out to watch that the other night I ended up having a bit of a a three movie binge which was um, which was fun but it was yeah it was was kind of good to catch up on that because I think I came out of I came out of Jojo Rabbit when I saw it at the cinema largely kind of Enjoying it, but not entirely feeling like it completely worked as a film. I, I mean, I I still rate it quite highly, but uh, there were things in it that, that kind of sit that are a bit of a juxtaposition with the way the way the film kind of goes. But um, yeah, and I, I found largely it was sort of consistent with that. That uh, the things that I, I wasn't so keen we still very much there but it's still a really sort of light in places very very funny in places yeah so uh, it was nice to catch up on that again i
2: yeah I, I think the thing was that this time a year ago it was it just played at the london film festival and i remember that was yes. a really hot ticket and i think its reputation kind of preceded it and i think it is a very good film don't get me wrong and i do rate kawati as the director um but i think the funny thing was was i think a lot of people were expecting a lot more from it and i think had the film yeah. have just been released i think a lot of people would have been taken aback and surprised and enjoyed it a little bit more than the weight of expectation they went in there with and i think that's kind of why it's a reputation but well you're right i think revisiting it now you kind of go okay right i'm seeing it from a perspective of it's died down a little bit everyone's kind of like moved on now i can enjoy it as a film rather than an event which i don't think it ever should have been no absolutely
0: i think it it actually got because i looked at some of the reviews sort of after watching it just to see what the the initial critical response was like and actually it was really divisive that um that actually there were a few one and two star reviews in amongst a lot of the critical praise for it so it's it's a really divisive film and i can i can appreciate why that is but uh, but yeah i still still have a a warm bit of affection for it i think it's not his strongest film because that's actually one thing that I have done throughout the the course of lockdown is I've I've had a bit of a Taiko Waititi retrospective. <laughs> I've managed to to go through Boy, which was now was that his directorial debut? It was, yeah, yeah. I I mean that was really good and really sowing the seeds for his style. A really kind of low-key coming-of-age comedy and he, he kind of loves that 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 kind of oddball kind of coming-of-age kind of structure with his films uh i, I watched which i my personal favorite hunt for the world of people of his i just think it's just such a delightful film uh really really worth worth watching i don't know we were talking about the last episode of of sort of great films to kind of pair with i think actually uh, we talked about get duped and the peanut butter falcon i think Hunt for the world of people and peanut butter falcon is two sort of oddball odyssey <laughs> movies that are really kind of lovely and feel good and they're, they're both available on streaming services i caught up with uh oh god what's it called? Oh, what we do in the shadows as well um,
1: i re-watched all all the film and both series oh wow a couple of weeks back
0: How is the series
1: the series is great. The series yeah. is great. And it expands sort of what they wanted to do with that world. Yeah. It is, it is interesting because when I first watched the series, I was slightly taken aback because I was like, oh, are they just going to try and do like another version? Like I felt like I was being disloyal to the film. Yeah. Um but they do—they do—they do a brilliant job, and all of the the main characters, and the idea of an energy vampire still makes me giggle. I'm gonna, um,
2: yeah, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, I think this the TV show in a way is strong because I think also as well, I think what we do in the shadows is a slightly overrated film as well, and I think in the, in the, mm. in the same vein, uh, I am gonna actually have to correct myself because uh, I should know. Boy wasn't his directorial debut; it was Eagle versus Shark, and I remember, oh, and, and I remember oh, Eagle versus Shark because I remember going to see yes. that, and I remember someone say it was a friend; it was from New Zealand. That was was like, you've got yeah. to come see this film by this guy, Taika Waititi. And this would have been back in like 2007, we think we're talking. And I remember watching yeah. it and being very aware that I was watching a new voice um and it, ah. it, arguably i mean i think with boy and eagle versus shark some may argue that his earlier stuff is probably slightly stronger maybe in a tarantino uh kind of ways like some of his earlier yeah. stuff is sort of like maybe because there's no weight of expectation behind it
0: yeah i think uh i mean i, I really need to check out eagle versus shark that's one that i
2: i completely forgot about and with
0: jermaine clement as well who's yeah. always yeah always worth a watch um yes yeah, it's, it's one that i seriously need to check out so thank you for reminding me about that one kev i'll uh, yeah, that, dig I mean, that
2: one out i think you should be able to get that pick that up off ebay or something like that quite cheaply i don't know how readily available it is on streaming services this is one of no. those films i think that was kind of yeah i think it kind of sort of like fell by the wayside i remember it being a big deal in london and this is about yeah. the same time as like trans america and all that kind of stuff so it was like yeah. i think i was kind of in london at that point kind of like loving the fact that you know friday night would be my independent film night or go to kind of like the Curzon in Soho or something and try and catch something. And Eagle versus Shark was one of those.
1: I was going to say, it's interesting that you should say about him uh, and and the Tarantino sort of comparison, just because it feels like at the moment he's a great talent and he's great at what he does, but he's crossed that path of he's wearing a lot of hats right now. Well, and it is. Yeah. He's doing so much stuff and great stuff, but how thin can you stretch yourself really? creatively I
2: think you're right there I mean I was very um, in, uh, I was very when I saw um, on YouTube because I watch a lot of stuff on YouTube uh, just general kind of clips and top 10 lists and everything like that and then uh, I've got uh, the channel the TED Talk channel And there was a Taika Waititi TED Talk, and I thought, wow, this is going to be amazing. And I watched it, and I think that TED Talk, in a weird way, only went on for like 10, 15 minutes, kind of encapsulates a little bit of how his mind works in the sense of he's quite scatological. He's kind of like a little bit all over the place, trying to do, in his own admission, too many things at once. And Mm. sometimes because of that, he'll deliver... Kind of like maybe slightly inferior products, aside from something that if he 100% completely focused on. And I think maybe with Eagle versus Shark, he wasn't wearing all of those hats at that time, and he was yeah, 100% yeah. focused on that. Maybe the same with Boy. And then as soon as you get into Marvel territory, one, you know, end of the spectrum, he's trying to keep his independent roots going with things like JoJo Rabbit. The other end of the yeah. spectrum, he's trying to play with the big boys, Marvel, and all that kind of stuff, which would, I mean, pretty much tear anyone apart. And the problem is, is I think he's such a nice guy he just doesn't know when to say no so if someone's like come and do this thing with me he's like yeah all right i'm doing this other thing at the moment but i'll come and do that with you and it's i think that might might be what's doing uh yeah. a disservice to some of the stuff that he's putting out at the moment although i have to say i i to say in
0: kind of defense of his marvel work i thought thought ragnarok was 100 percent, the strongest thor movie and for me it's one of my favorites of the mcu oh yeah I think, it's I think it was so 100%. fresh yeah it's 100
2: uh... and i think that was the point where he was going up to the big leagues that was that was yeah. when it kind of bumped him up and i think jojo rabbit probably suffered because of that
0: possibly i think the weight of expectation when you go from hunt for the world of people into thor ragnarok into jojo rabbit you can see that there's there's almost like a peak there and I, I i you know i still have a lot of time for jojo rabbit but in comparison with with the 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 other two, his two previous films I, I think they are stronger
2: i think if, the, uh, if but, the poster had been more kind of like from the director of hunt for the wilder people jojo rabbit as opposed to from the director of thor ragnarok jojo rabbit yeah. then i think the way of the yeah. expectation might have worked out
0: i also think with the trailers as well with him in the hitler role the the sheer cheek and bravado of of it and that it was front and center in all of the all of the kind of promotional material for it that actually people will have seen the trailer and gone
2: what the hell is this and uh,
0: i I kind of want to get on board with this
2: yeah i think sam rockwell aside that's probably him being hitler is probably the best gag in the movie and they (laughs) shouldn't have maybe put it too prominent on everything it should have been a nice surprise I would quite happily take
0: a take a Sam Rockwell tangent there for yeah. <laughs> for a few minutes on, um, on how on how great he is, but maybe we'll save that for another day. A bit yeah. A, I think we should, we should have a moon chat. Oh, definitely moon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and the way way back because he is absolutely phenomenal in that. Oh yeah, just ma- to, Matchstick uh, Men, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. would just keep
2: naming. Let's just keep naming. Sam or Rockwell. just
0: let's just keep naming great Sam Rockwell performances. <laughs> <laughs> but just just to to, uh, it. it's almost like uh, just to kind of. Wrap up the Taika Waititi chat just because it, inadvertently though it was. Uh, it's actually it's sort of fairly well timed because when we are recording this just this week, he has put out his latest creative endeavour and he's done the Christmas advert for Coca Cola this year. Uh, <laughs> has he? Oh, he has. Well, I need to. I have not yet seen it, uh, but it's it's another thing on his rapidly expanding resume of you know as you say you know getting involved with with the Marvel and with the Star Wars universe because he's directed and uh, appears has appeared in episodes of the Mandalorian he's got his own Star Wars film that's being developed at the moment uh, he's also got next goal wins which is going back towards his more sort of independent roots so yeah the guy simply doesn't know, doesn't know when to stop at the minute um and
2: you know hope hopefully we we continue to get some really kind of great quality stuff having not seen the coke oh. advert yet, i think i could have lived in a world where someone else had directed a coke advert but yeah you know i'll be back i, <laughs> I, I, my... I can't wait to be proved wrong i'm hoping that it's going to be you know as whimsical and wonderful as uh everything else he should be doing is <laughs> <laughs>
0: absolutely yeah, definitely. Um,
1: I have uh, to pick up on that train of thought. I have been watching The Mandalorian as it's been coming out, uh, every week. Thoroughly enjoying it, as I kind of figured I would. It's an interesting thing because it, it's one of those things that has a it has its own it has its own weight to it after the first season. How do you how do you pick up and make it as as interesting?
0: I actually think that uh, so far, three episodes into the second season, I'm finding it a slightly stronger start think now I am you too now you've now they've kind of established the world what i'm finding with it is that they uh i think there was there was a kind of a two or three episode lag in the middle of the first series where it became a little mm-hmm. bit like it almost felt a bit like you know those 80s sort of sunday afternoon serials a little bit sort of yeah, night get, rider or 80, you get the filler episodes yeah the there. filler episodes it felt a bit like that uh this series is coming in a lot more confident because they've they've, they've established the world now uh, and they've established kind of the end game for the series. That you know he's he's looking to deliver the child to the Jedi. Um, yeah, that's that's sort of where we're we're sort of picking up. But there's a lot more humour with it. The direction of the episodes, the the, the action's been really good. Uh, even kind of the the diversion episode of episode 2 without going into any details was a really really kind of smart self-contained little adventure and not great for people with severe arachnophobia. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I, uh, oh, well, yeah. I, I i'm yeah. not looking forward to watching that and i do have retinophobia quite yeah um it's yeah. uh yeah there's there's a
1: bit that made me jump in that as well yeah like a, it was a good it was a pretty good jump scare i have to admit mm, definitely. um it bit, yeah you were that, saying i about, mean i've been about t-
2: mandalore in season one when you were saying this so that kind of story, it, it seems to be there was that kind of consensus there was a little bit of a lag in the middle then it kind of picked up it was a quite strong yeah. ended. and it's kind of it's not really what you want of your first season of anything but then it says me i mean 24 used to be one of my favorite shows and 2 p.m to 6 p.m in season one of 24 with the amnesia storyline was one of those kind of like laggy things but then it picked up and had one of the strongest endings of a series at that time i think but um and obviously the less said about season two of 24 the better but then season three of 24 in my opinion was the best yeah that's up to date folks it's 24 we're talking (laughs) (laughs) we're talking 24 here folks Hey, if it inspires somebody to
0: go back and revisit Twenty Four, then I am not complaining because yeah, I I was I was a huge fan of it back in the day. So yeah, the other thing that I rewatched is the two
1: thousand and five BBC uh, Casanova series, the miniseries that came out. Ah, the David Tennant one. The David Tennant one. The Peter O'Toole. I absolutely adore that series, um, and I re rewatched it recently. I, in my personal opinion, it's better than the film that came out. I think the same year.
2: Is that the Heath Ledger one?
1: The Heath Ledger one, yeah. Oh. Um, I enjoy the the miniseries a lot more. Um, written by Russell T. Davis, so I have a bit of a soft spot anyway. But yeah. Yeah, that's That's what what I've been watching. I'll tell
2: you what I've been watching. I've I've managed to catch up on Queen and Slim from the beginning of the year, which I very much enjoyed. That was wonderful, nice and subtle. Um, I finally caught up with The Day Shall Come, which is the Chris Morris film as well, his second one, following Four Lions, uh, which I thought was absolutely brilliant, heartbreaking and hilarious, as most Chris Morris fare can be, cinematic fare at least and uh yeah i enjoyed it very much the funny thing about the day shall come is um it was only playing in selected cinemas in london i remember actually going in sitting down watching the opening credit sequence of it uh and the title card came up and then um i had to leave the auditorium i went back and the following day because it was a thursday following day it left and i was like oh it's gonna be ages before i see that again but i'm glad i caught up on it and i also caught up on dark waters the mark ruffalo kind of like um true story from the beginning of the year is that
1: the one where he plays another version of he plays two people in it
2: no that's the sky series um
0: Ah. is that this uh, oh yeah no this is
2: the true life story about the teflon kind of like poisoning water kind of thing i mean it Ah, seems that mark ruffalo seems to have made a kind of like a little sort of like you know mark for himself playing things like spotlight and zodiac where he kind of plays these real life dramas so well Mm-hmm. and yeah. um, it was it was wonderful i mean you wouldn't look at the synopsis and go oh, that's going to be a thrill a minute but it's uh, it plays out quite respectfully but also as well really engagingly and i would heartily recommend dark waters which has just become free on amazon i caught that at the cinema at the beginning of the year i had the randomest double bill <laughs>
0: ever of uh, sonic the hedgehog followed by dark waters all oh, right <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah i i'll, I'll fully I'll, I'll fully back up what kev said there it was a, a really Really great drama. I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, you know, picking up on something you said in the middle of that, that again, dramas like that, and Spotlight, which I was a huge, huge fan of. Yeah, he's golden. Anything with Ruffalo's in, Ruffalo's in is is worth a watch. Speaking of which, again, just a, a small tangent is um, I forgot completely uh, that he was in Collateral, which is another film that I've caught up with. Oh recently. yeah, what a
2: film! I love Collateral, and there is yeah. I forget the time, but if you start whenever I watch Collateral, I like to watch it at night into the wee smalls. And I think if you start yeah. watching it as something like, I don't know what it is, but it's something like, if you watch it at like twelve seventeen a.m., then that moment at the end where he looks at his phone, to the climax of the film, you'll have the same time that he's got, and you feel like you're actually kind of like <laughs> there with him. that's great. I love that. I love movies that are kind of like, especially great score, great soundtrack in general. In fact, yeah, terrific performance by Tom Cruise. And uh, and and I think I think the thing about that film is is that's one of those films that I like to put on sometimes at the end of a film marathon. So if I, you know, sometimes when you have a group of friends, not so much now because we're all on lockdown. But you have a group of friends and you'll like watch films through the day, and it's like everyone yeah. starting to doze off, beer in and out and everything like that. And you're like, hey, you know what? Let's end the night on Collateral, and then that will go through to some. Rise. funnily
0: enough that is exactly what
2: i did <laughs> that i'd uh, i did a mini film marathon a week last saturday
0: and started it with coco watched uh what else, did, what else did
2: you drink <laughs> <laughs> ah, brilliant
0: <laughs> so watched uh, a norwegian film called jackpot which uh was written by joe nesbo i was a big fan of the joe nesbo's headhunters nesbo which if you've not seen it, it's great and then wrapped it up with collateral and again that was
2: a, a great little a day's triple bill. Did you have the urge to go Joe Nesbo, Nesbo Italiana? <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I see Joe Nesbo's name, I mean that's a name, isn't it? That is a great name. That's a great name. Yes. And it was it I wouldn't
0: I wouldn't sort of rush to watch Jackpot. Uh it was a perfectly serviceable but
2: for a quid for the blu-ray can't go wrong (laughs) oddly just two more films as well I watched the original Judge Dredd um, that I hadn't seen since 1995 I don't think it's reputation um, I don't think it deserves its reputation it's not a great film but it's not a tremendously, it's not as bad a film as history, will have you believe. That's what yeah. it is. And it's not a Judge Dredd film. That's essentially the problem. He takes his helmet off and then it's essentially Sylvester Stallone running around in a kind of soft Judge Dredd universe. The Carl Urban, v- vastly superior Dredd was oh, a, a, a lot better yeah. than that. So I think that Judge Dredd, though it is terrible, isn't as bad as history. I would have you believe. But something that also, as well, is Anaconda, a film that I had never seen. <laughs> I watched that as well, and that came out. That was like 1997, and I it was exactly... I felt when I was watching it, I felt like I had seen it because it was exactly... Everything I'd heard about it and read about it and all that over the last 20 years, um, (laughs) it was all there. And I was watching it, I was like, Yeah, I think it was his book, but I had never seen it before. And Anaconda is as bad as people have you believe. But then it wanted to be, apparently. (laughs) And for some reason, I watched Bombshell again, third time this year. That's the film I've watched the most this year. Bombshell. Yeah, I didn't really like it the first time I saw it. Uh, The second time I saw it, I quite enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed it the third time I saw it. So I don't know why. I don't know why, but just the way things have lined up, Bombshell is the film I've seen the most this Mm. year. That's crazy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Talking about films we have seen, Yes. Uh, I'd like to move the chat on to you guys. Okay. Uh, oh, I tried to make a very tenuous link there. <laughs> I'm going to move it on the rocks to
0: talk about the film On the Rocks. Okay. Um,
1: the 2020 American comedy film. Oh,
0: yeah. Yes, so uh, it's currently exclusively screening on Apple TV at the moment. Um, Apple TV's having a bit of a wider rollout at the moment, thanks to, I'm guessing it's probably timed with the, the recent launch of the next generation, Xbox One X and uh, Xbox Series X and uh PS5, so yeah, I, I I managed to I managed to log into my Apple TV and catch up on a few of the films that have been screening there. So it's uh, written and directed by Sofia Coppola and stars uh, Rashida Jones and Bill Murray and Marlon Wayans. So, the the general synopsis is that um, Laura, when she su- suspects her husband of infidelity, uh, confides in her kind of charismatic, flamboyant, and often sort of philandering father, um, and kind of unwittingly gets dragged into playing detective with him, sort of trying to find out what her husband is actually up to. Uh, and, like you say, Chris, it's it is a comedy it's very much a, it's kind of a very kind of low-key bittersweet comedy there's some really really hilarious moments in it but it's also really really kind of heartfelt and has a lot to kind of say about uh relationships and certainly the, the pressure and expectation on you know parents and uh and their their place and position in in the world first of all Rashida Jones I think is brilliant in it a couple of does a really kind of good job with the writing of it to kind of establish her almost sort of a bit isolated from her peers early on because everybody that she kind of encounters they're all about self and, and she kind of writes and Rashida Jones kind of plays the, the insecurities really well. She's kind of in this, it, it almost feels a bit like a thankless mother role. And she's she's kind of trying, but not succeeding to forge her way back into a writing career. And at the same time, her husband, who's Marlon Wayans, just seems to be working all hours with a stereotypically beautiful assistant. <laughs> and and obviously the the cogs start turning in her head from there. But what I've kind of got to say first of all about Rashida Jones is I kind of know her from the American version of The Office and uh, from Parks and Recreation. And what I've always found is she's a really likeable presence. And I think On The Rocks plays on that really, really well, kind of making her a really likeable centre to it. Obviously, if we're talking about a new Bill Murray film, you've got to talk about the man himself. And he's... I'm sure Kev will probably agree with me here. He's kind of going... The, the full fat extra strength Bill Murray.
2: Yeah is. I, I, I think that, to be honest in, 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 the, the way she wrote the role I think she could only, she wrote it for him and the yeah. only you know obviously they were together um, with Lost in Translation at Absolutely. which point I thought that uh, Bill Murray was kind of like her and Bill Murray were getting, coming together for kind of like a you know an autumn career highlight uh, but yeah. it turns out this may be the autumn of his career and what a highlight it is well it's not quite as punchy yeah. or witty as Lost in Translation but I think it kind of like moves in a nice way in a kind of thing that. She shows that parents are fallible which is yeah. great i mean the fact that he's a larger than life playboy father i think as he's described in the notes is that yeah. uh, it kind of shows that but it also shows that the love he has for his daughter even though he's not perfect is what actually triumphs and i think rashida jones always plays the every woman films like uh, i love you man i forget the name of the film she did with andy sandberg jesse and something forever oh i'm gonna have to check that in just a moment yes. that was a wonderful film um and it's that kind of thing where she, she effortlessly kind of like stumbles along she always seems put upon but also as well she kind of plays it very real and I think yeah. Bill Murray has that kind of like Bill Murray in real life he's very larger than life in that kind of way as well and it, you look at him in films and then you look at him on Saturday Night Live or you look at him you know just in interviews and you realise he's just that all the time and I think yeah. this is one of the best suited roles to him probably because it was written for him and you would see Definitely. Marlon Waynes in that credit list and go there's the alarm um, but yeah. Marlon Waynes, I think, is perfectly restrained in this and probably yeah. better than I've seen him in a lot of films recently.
0: Oh, absolutely. I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, I mean, just sort of bouncing back onto the, the Bill Murray Potter, he is, he is clearly having an absolute ball with it. And I, I find it really interesting, kind of picking up on what you said around the love that he has for his daughter, but he's hes kind of got this kind of last generation kind of patriarchal feel about him that hes he's quite controlling in a way. That he's he's still playing the 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 protective father, and he's he's that he's kind of the catalyst for most of <laughs> most of what happens in the film. That he's just he just drags her along whether she wants to or not. But I think they've got such a such a brilliant chemistry, they spark off each other really well. And I think you you see there's that reciprocal love, but you can also see that she is so infuriated with him. I think because uh... he is. I was going to say he's he's really kind of infuriating but you know captivating presence you can see it throughout the film you know his interactions with other people that like you say he's he's very very bill murray in it um just to go back to the Marlon Wayne's point i mean i'm not gonna delve too far into spoiler territory but there is a moment in the film that i think sophia Coppola does so well in really sensitively handling both sides of the, the the kind of the husband and wife dynamic in this, and and there is a moment that actually, and it doesn't give anything away, but it, it's it's a part of Marlon Wayne's performance that he has one line that he drops in there, and as a as a you know as a dad myself, it really struck a chord and really landed hard with me, and I thought it was so well mm. done that a film such as this, where you're looking at a. Suspect, you know a suspected infidelity uh that you expect it to be quite weighted against the the person that's being unfaithful but i think the the balance of it and i think it it turns really nicely it's nicely played the way it's done uh and i think i think it, it manages to generate some really nice sympathy
2: on both sides but yeah not not to give too much away but um But yeah, sorry, Kev, you were going to pick up a point. Yeah, sorry, yeah, two points. One, Celeste and Jesse Forever. That was the name of the film from 2012 with Andy Samberg and Rashida Jones. Uh, And also as well, yeah, Bill Murray in this, the kind of Bill Murray. So the last time he was with Sophia Coppola was when they did A Very Murray Christmas. Did you see that on Netflix? I didn't know and that I didn't see it either <laughs> so it's, still recently, there. Well, it's the time of year guys those bells are ringing yeah, you, should, it is. you should put it on that's lovely that's kind of like what I'd say the character that Bill Murray's playing in this is closest yeah. to which is essentially a kind of exaggerated version of how he could be um yeah. uh but i also think mm. as well with sophia coppola she's kind of like no you know a lot of people have sort of said like life imitating art is she working through some daddy issues here is this the kind of like father that she was working but then did you guys see somewhere way no. back when so that was another sophia coppola film when it was kind of like they were at the chateau Marmont wasn't it and it was uh steven yeah. dorff and uh one of the fannings i think it was dakota or Elle fanning um, yeah. sorry bear with, I'm going to have to check that out in a moment. I will check that out for the time we uh, okay. m- move on um, and, and that again a lot of people looked at that and said okay well that's obviously the relationship that she kind of has with her father and yeah. they're kind of there and it's like it's refreshing to see because i thought there'd be similar there'd be kind of like echoes of that in this but the character that yeah. bill murray's playing in this is a completely different father figure to the father figure uh Stephen Dorf played in somewhere so i think yeah. that's where that kind of like comes in as well which goes to show that really probably maybe people looked into somewhere too much um in that respect and which is why that probably wasn't quite as popular yeah
0: and just to pick up one final thing as we're talking about you know, this this festive time of the year and bill murray that
2: we're gonna we're gonna be getting the viewings of Scrooge soon. I just ordered the mm. uh, I just ordered the soundtrack. I've got the uh, I've got <laughs> I, I, I've got the Danny Elfman score, which would be wonderful to have one of the tracks of the tray. But um, I've I've actually gone back and the nine track um you know with the annie lennox put a little love in your heart opening it that kind of thing i just thought i've got to have it i've (laughs) got to have it and you know what it was harder to find than i thought it would be
0: (laughs) i don't have many kind of silly social media traditions but i do have one is that every christmas eve i will repost uh, a youtube link to the uh, the christmas miracle speech at the end of scrooge because i think every year people need to hear that so (laughs)
2: <laughs> they yeah. do. I remember <laughs> had a friend that told me that he went to see Scrooge in the March after it came out in the December, and they're uh, yeah. sitting there in an auditorium with like two people, and that bit came on and everyone just sat there in silence. I can confirm it was L. Fanning. L. Fanning was in somewhere yeah. with Stephen Dawg. Right,
0: great stuff. So in summarisation, I think On the Rocks is well worth an hour and a half. It is a really sprightly it's got an hour and 36 minutes long, and it's, it's a really gentle, witty Heartfelt piece, well
2: worth, well worth checking out.
1: And as of right now, you can find it on
2: Apple yes. TV. Apple TV. Yes. Apple TV. So, so, well, I wouldn't say it'd be worth getting Apple TV for, but then you know, no. this and Greyhound maybe. You know. Yep. And the uh, the long way, long way up. That's what I watched recently with you McGregor and. Charlie Borman that was uh, quite wonderful as well
0: the next thing on my Apple TV to watch list is the Beastie Boys story
2: oh that's great that's terrific that's a documentary that's essentially a live show so they they did a they did a series of live shows on Broadway and uh about the beastie boys and it's got this great thing it's directed by spike jones it is yeah absolutely terrific i would heartily recommend that i wasn't a huge beastie boy fan though i do like a a couple of their songs um and uh i came out and i bought like three albums after watching that documentary wow (laughs) yeah there you are Let's...
1: listeners, you have a bunch of recommendations from us today
2: yeah. Yes, and, uh, uh, maybe the com- you've got plenty of maybe time maybe the combination of Greyhound on the Rocks and the Beastie Boys documentary could be worth a sample of your uh,
0: Apple Ooh. TV I think I'm going to I am going to do a really quick tangent here because I, I think the Beastie Boys story would really link into one of the things I've done uh, during lockdown is I have been, uh, and Kev will kind of speak up on this one as well I'm sure, just really really quickly, uh, we are going slightly too. Te- TV as well as as well as movie based today, but uh, throughout the whole of lockdown, I've been watching a lot of uh, documentaries and series uh, that have real kind of nostalgic value to me. So I, I know Kev's talked about his year of nostalgia at the cinema. So I watched The Last Dance when it was released earlier in the year on Netflix. What a documentary! It, uh, what a documentary that is! I mean, it's 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 absolutely <laughs> absolutely incredible, and it just takes me back to I remember i remember that period of the 1990s very very well and it's 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 really interesting to kind of see everything that was going on kind of behind the scenes at that time and what a an absolutely phenomenal
2: documentary it is shows how uh, very easily influenced i am because immediately after that i went and bought a pair of air jordans and i watched <laughs> a wonderful documentary as well called the defiant ones which is about yes. kind of like uh, dr dre uh, and that kind of era and um yeah. and, and I've, I've got a pair of Beats on my uh, christmas list <laughs>
0: Fantastic, mm.
2: and then I went
0: from that into because um, I'm a bit of an old school wrestling fan, and this year the Undertaker retired, and they did a a, a series on the the WWE network called The Last Ride, and it was about uh, his kind of last four years, and one thing that he always did it's kind of Mark Calloway the, who's the chap that uh, that? who's the undertaker for the first time really spoke about his character because he's he's always kind of kept up the, the character as much as possible and hasn't granted interviews and now he's retired he's spending all this time kind of talking about his career and it was absolutely fascinating that kind of this, this old school icon is now finally kind of pulling the curtain back on his career and that was absolutely fascinating and then right. once I finished that I moved on to high school on uh on netflix which is about kind of the heyday and the growth of uh different genres of video games throughout the, like the 80s and early 90s uh different systems and uh so right back from the arcades through to uh the release of uh, sonic and the mega drive and the super nintendo so it was yeah absolutely fascinating and a real kind of trip down memory lane so something like the beastie Boys story is really gonna gonna top that off because they were they were definitely a massive place in uh in my music collection, and my family, my
2: brother's music collection throughout the 80s and 90s. So, uh, yeah, I'll wrap that off very nicely. A great documentary that was called New World Towers about the blur and then getting together to record their, their last album they did, The Magic Ooh. Whip. It um, was an absolutely amazing documentary. I saw that in the cinema um, that they did for like a one night only. And I don't think it's yet, to have, I don't think it's had a Blu-ray or DVD release. And that was a couple of years back i think Mm -hmm. maybe you should find out on streaming services but i hardly recommend that as well and obviously you were talking about the um the undertaker and everything there i went back and revisited um beyond the Mat that was on uh, appeared on netflix randomly and i hadn't seen that in years so yeah there's an an abundance of wonderful nostalgia docs
1: kevin i'm gonna hand this over to you for a little bit because you've actually managed to step foot in cinemas
2: I have, Recently. yes, I have, and I've managed to set foot in cinemas, that are different chains as well. I've seen, I've been to the Odeons, I've been to the Views, and of course, talk I've, to us I've,
1: about that experience. Well, my f- and the
2: changes. Thank you very much. I will do. But my first experience, uh, returning um, from the original, the first lockdown, um, was unhinged with Russell Crowe. Uh, That was my first experience going back. Now, it was a film that I had heard about. I was quite looking forward to. But it was just good to be back in the cinema at that point. Um, So Cineworld was my cinema of choice for that first film. Um, I went back. It was an August afternoon. And I remember going in. uh, There was hand sanitizers. There was about three other people in my screen. Um, We were told to keep our masks on unless we were eating popcorn. Um, or or any mm. other you know drinking beverages or anything in, in the screen. Only popcorn. Uh, only allowed popcorn. popcorn. Yeah. So I sat down there. Now I will say this: I went in and I saw uh, Unhinged, which was a very enjoyable film. It does exactly what it says in the tin. Russell Crowe is huge in it, and uh, I, and I was like, oh, okay, well he's obviously uh, you know it, it was bizarre because you're watching this film thinking, oh no, this film's very pre lockdown, and is it going to feel this weird now to watch these films that you know were play were made pre lockdown? To watch mm. them now it's going to be bizarre but the cinema experience itself was fine i will admit i i, I basically chose my seat online um it blocked out seats either side of me uh, to the left and to the right but it didn't block out seats in front or behind me so that was the first film i saw um i sat in the screen and i did move around a bit basically when people came in at that point there was no advertising there was no trailers or anything the, basically the cinema was just light until the film was due to start and it just went dark and the film started playing then as I started to go to other cinemas I went to the BFI IMAX to catch the opening night of uh, Tenet that was a wonderful experience that was more busy I found myself actively really kind of like subconsciously not thinking about it but I, I started to basically select seats based on how safe I felt so I would only have seen tenant on opening night if I could have sat at the back of the auditorium because I noticed that obviously when it comes to the coughing and everything I was very paranoid that people would cough over me um, so I decided to have the seats blocked out either side of me and then sit at the very back of the cinema so I made a point of every film I saw no matter what cinema I saw it in Um, I would only go and see a film if I could sit at the back of the cinema, um, which is what I was doing. Cineworld were amazing. Odeon were amazing. Vue were amazing. They were very good. View went as far as to have people patrol the screens and tell people to put masks on, which was great. Um, Cineworld were very active as you were going into the cinema, but uh, there wasn't much presence in the screens. Um, and Odeon, occasionally... I mean, the IMAX is quite big. It is well-monitored anyway. usually have two people sitting at the back of the screen, and that's more to help people up and down the stairs because they're quite an incline. But the actual experiences themselves, when I was in there, when I was watching films, I took lighter masks in, put my lighter mask on. I have got my cinema mask that I put on, which is a little bit lighter than the mask I wear on the underground or out and about. Um, I did notice that I would... As soon as the film started, I'd get lost in the film and I wouldn't think about it until until the end. Occasionally someone would cough and people would kind of like look around a little bit tentatively. But other than that, <laughs> um, the actual screenings w- were fine. And this went right the way through to um, Akira. I saw Akira recently when it was re-released. Uh, that was like one of the last, I think, new big releases that was released, to 4K. I saw that in the IMAX uh, in Leicester Square, um, another Cineworld IMAX. And um, that was really, really busy. But again, there was enough space in there really i think they were every all cinemas were working on half capacity which is fine for uh, a cinema if you've got a 16 screen cinema and they're playing a film every 15 minutes like 10 it's basically just been on like you know 10 screens um when you've got that but i can't imagine um there was much fun to be had in the small independent cinemas that need like every seat has got a value yeah, um that can only play two screens i know the prince charles cinema didn't open um back in the um uh, the August dates when everyone else started opening again, uh, and chose to open in uh, October in time for the London Film Festival, where they were playing many films. Uh, but has obviously recently closed again, which is a shame. And they had a program; they, they've, they've never had to worry about new releases because they've obviously survived on a, pro, a large program of retro films and you know nostalgia films. Mm. Uh, and they had programmed right the way through to the New Year, and many of their screenings had sold out. So that was they were doing very well um, before we went into lockdown again. So it's going to be very bizarre to see how all cinemas do the other side of lockdown obviously Cineworld world chose to close prior to lockdown on account of the fact that the bond film was pulled um, and we would know how the story yeah. of that went didn't go down very well wasn't communicated very well and they didn't treat their staff very well was what i heard but now odeon and view and all of the other cinemas in london around the united kingdom have had to close yeah. uh, from from the uh, thursday the fifth from bonfire Night. so yeah
1: so i have I have, a, I have a random question just the way you were talking about that in terms of the uh, process of going to buy tickets and all sorts of stuff like that. I assume you bought tickets I did, tickets so online. I'd buy them
2: uh, usually through the app um, and so contactless, so essentially you would turn up and um, have you scanned on your phone. I did that for every one of the films.
1: Was that was that uh, across the board what e- no, they asked everyone to do? Or They did encouraged turn it, up and buy tickets? but
2: when people turned up they were either directed to a machine which they would wipe down um, so they could print their paper ticket there and then sure. or as concession stands were still open, you could still buy your tickets at the concession stand but most people... T- I noticed the concession stand queues were moving a lot faster than they normally are. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, every, every film... Even to the point where they were... Discount the film I saw, uh, the most recent film I saw before we went into lockdown was Craft Legacy. And uh, that was a case if it was cheaper to buy it online than if I'd bought it in the cinema. That was a view. Uh, *Odians* dropped their cinema... In, Odeons in London dropped their prices to £5 a ticket. Oh, wow. curious. Many, re- many retro films. During the Halloween season, they were playing lots of, uh, you know, not horror films, Halloween, Scream, all of those ones, Nightmare on Elm Street. Wow. Uh, um, and I know that most cinemas have programmed V for Vendetta um, oh, for fifth. what would have been the, the 5th of yeah. November. Yeah, Very appropriate.
1: <laughs> that's my that's my yearly watch on that day when I can.
2: <laughs> and we were due a big um, All Singing, All Dancing Alita re-release as well, weren't we? Really? Oh yeah, which has had to be yeah, it's kind of like put on the back burner for the time yeah. being.
1: Yeah, there was a big uh, um, hubbub about it. People signing petitions and stuff.
2: Oh, what was the, what were the petitions about? Was that about the uh, about it, the fact that they were really oh, can't be the quality of the film because I quite enjoyed Elisa. But no, no, was... no,
1: that that they were they were demanding a a, a re-release in cinemas.
2: Oh, that they were de- oh right okay well yeah they would have got their wish if we hadn't got into exactly. Lockdown. So I've I made a, a slightly different
0: choice in my film watching because as as. Desperate as I've been to want to get back to the cinema, I've had you know, personal issues to, to kind of contend with on that and, and personal commitments uh, looking after the family and making sure that uh, those vulnerable ones around me, uh, I'm not putting them at any risk by potentially putting myself into a situation where, where I could potentially be transmitting it. So, as much as I've missed it, um, what I have managed to do was find. A really, really excellent uh, drive-in uh, cinema experience, uh, very close to us, which was only supposed to be running for the summer. It was based at Sandon Hall in Staffordshire. It's the, the Great British Drive-In. I'm definitely going to give them a big shout out because I, I, I managed to get there twice over the uh, over the last few months. So once in August and once uh, in sort of October. It's in sort of beautiful. Uh, stately home surroundings uh, the sound is all kind of wired through the uh, through your radio so you tune yourself into a frequency and and actually works really well so i i I took my daughter to go and see lego batman during the august (laughs) part of the summer (laughs) holiday and i mean i'm i'm a massive lego batman film i think it's it's a fantastic film but my whole existence would generally be sort of revolving around can i make it to the cinema tonight yeah yeah, Uh, i can see that and and having that kind of cut out from my my life for a few months and that you know the the big screen experience i know it's i know it's a phrase i say a lot but there was a moment where uh we were very lucky uh due to circumstances that we got a front row centre seat in front of the screen for Lego Batman and I have got a fairly good quality radio on my car so the sound quality was excellent and there was a moment just as the film started and uh, you got the Warner Brothers logo and it was on this this enormous screen on this beautiful day and you know the, the soundtrack bumping through and that, that brilliant brilliant opening uh, with the raid and the aircraft spoiler <laughs> light and i will absolutely hold my hands up and say i was on the verge of getting a little bit emotional just to be back doing the thing or one of the things that i love most that i've not been able to and i, I kind of clutch onto that and uh, unfortunately again due to the um, uh, due to the pandemic they've had to close again but they're hoping to reopen closer to christmas so if you are listening to this and you know Search for the Great British Drive-In if you're based in the Midlands because it is really worth checking out. Uh, it's such a lovely experience, and the the people that do it they're all they're all doing it for the love of it. And I, I managed to go and see the amazing Children of Men on the big screen for the first time because wow. I, I I didn't see it I, I saw it on on DVD the first time round. So to be able is to... That, is that is
2: that a uh, a mashup a Spider Man and uh, uh, Alfonso Cuarón mashup? What's
0: that? Children of Men. <laughs> the amazing children of <laughs> sorry, I, sorry I kind of came in a bit late with that that was uh, <laughs> sorry it was it was worth it it was worth
2: it
0: <laughs> mm. <laughs> but yeah no, uh, and again just just to, to see that on the big screen was was fantastic so it was nice to be able to find a safe environment to be able to do it I've just been hoping I find somewhere that's showing tenant for me to be able to go and
2: see oh. it yeah. said I see t- two hazards of that. I noticed a, dr- a drive-through down in London Way but programmed a double bill. It was the Emoji movie and Dunkirk. Oof! <laughs> <laughs> Which is that? Yeah, there? One's, there
0: a, one's a harrowing, blood-curdling experience. The other, <laughs> and one the other was one's by about war. Christopher Nolan. <laughs> yeah, here we go.
2: Here we go. Brilliant like that. Yeah. So, d- did you not mind the, when the Asherah came along with the big kind of rack of ribs and put it on the side <laughs> of your car? And-
0: <laughs> no, they were very delicious. And, oh, I know there were people there to help me tip the car back over. <laughs>
1: no. So actually, talking sure. about that, I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent. We were talking a little earlier about um, films made notice- noticeably before lockdown, and mm. I'd like to talk a little bit, just a tiny tiny little bit, yeah, about a film that is made, technically, I guess it was made during lockdown, but it is about a virus called COVID-23. I think it's called
0: Songbird. Ah, uh, yes, the the Michael Bay produced. The Michael Bay
1: produced. Um,
2: oh yes, I've heard. I've heard of this
1: terrifying. Supposedly a um. It's all what we need right now, right? About <laughs> yeah. another COVID in 2022, um, and about a separated couple. One of them is immune. This is all in the trailer. If you want to look at the trailer and the horrors that go with that and being able to track and trace, and there's all, there's all the vernacular that we are using nowadays to describe our lives very much shoehorned into this, at least what was in the trailer, very much shoehorned in to make us realize that this really is uh, representing what we are currently going through. And I have to admit, there's a part of me that goes, I mean, props to people making a film during all of this nonsense, but also, is it a bit too soon? For that kind of stuff. And I, I, th- I think, think the other thing is that I struggle with the idea that someone... Well, also, people are terrified anyway. As, as you know, there is a respectful amount of terrifiedness, which you should be, of yeah. the current thing that's happening. But there are people, you know, I don't think they want to be reminded that sort of way. And also, is it really nice of people to be making money out of this sort of terrified pandemic that's happening? There's part of me that I'll really make... doesn't like that.
0: It has got a whiff th- of exploitative about it. Yeah,
2: it? it has. I think the issue with this is, though, is it's kind of like it depends. I mean, I, I I use this very kind of like tentatively when it comes to Michael Bay. But it's like art, isn't it? Really, and art can express anything that art wants to express. Yeah. It's like you know, when the films came out after September 11th, when we had uh, United 93 and World Trade Centers and everything, everyone was like, "Well, is this you know, is, is this what we should be doing? Are we making money from something? Are we doing this?" Whereas on the West End stage and on uh, uh, and in fringe theatre, especially, there were lots of plays written about it. People were doing monologues about things and everything, and that's kind of what it is. And it's just something about cinema that people can be very snooty at. I think sometimes and sort of say, "Well, it's not art, is it?" Really. I mean, again, I'm not fighting Michael based corner in this yeah. but it's the kind of like you know, it, know it's you not know. but it, 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 it yeah it's, the, it's that kind of representation of it and I think it's like yeah of course I mean essentially it's reflected I think their problem will probably be is I, I, I have no doubt in my mind that the last film I'm going to want to watch is Contagion when the pandemic's over, yeah, sure. and everybody everybody is really up on that at the moment, and it's on, it's, yeah. you know, it's still trending on the streaming services and everything. But that's more of a kind of like, oh, look at that! Look, it turned out that we knew about these things all along and everything. I don't know if the other side of it, unless there's a film called Furlough which is just about people sitting <laughs> at home locked in. I don't think I've got an interest in it, but there might be an appetite out there for it. It's similar to the people that love the Home Invasion movies. Yeah. What was that Home Invasion movie that years ago was called Alone. The Strangers? <laughs> <laughs> home Alone, that was it, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but there was a the thing. I think the tagline for it, it may have been The Strangers. comedy not it really was. It said, no, it wasn't. It was called Them or something. And it was it, Anyway, the tagline was, you'll never feel safe in your home again. And I was like, <laughs> i don't want to not feel safe in my yeah. home again i'm not going to watch that and i'm not gonna i mean again i i will always say it's kind of a, i'm i will watch anything and i will make my decisions after i've watched it and everything like that but i wouldn't say that this film is at the front of my list of films to watch at the moment no. and i get a feeling that fur, furlough furlough <laughs> and lockdown and and pandemic fatigue will probably do this a you know it may maybe Twenty years from now, it would have been good if they'd have said, "Oh, look, this happened twenty yeah. years ago, and this is kind of what it's like." Here are some real stories about people that were really affected, very similar to the kind of like United ninety three kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. But I think now I, I'm not. I don't wanna watch this, you know. No. Even even in the the, the the back end of the Borat the movie, there were it, there was it, it gets quite kind of Close. obviously because it was filmed in lockdown. It, get, it gets very yeah heavy on that kind of thing and after a while i was like ah, okay i'm not quite as enjo- i'm not enjoying it as much now because my escapism has gone yeah and if you're watching films to escape the last thing you're going to want to do is watch a- if you're going for a breakup maybe it's <sighs> nice to watch a film about somebody going through a breakup when i went through a heavy breakup my favorite film was swingers it turns out swingers is now my favorite film because i was going through it at the time and everything sure. but i don't think i'm going to want to go through because unless there is an upbeat ending. Where everything's fine. It just felt. I don't think.
1: After watching the trailer, it just felt. The word that came to me was blunt. It didn't seem like you know we're doing this in a respectful way. I. That's a tough thing to say because you're right. I had a conversation uh, a few days ago about just the general question: what is performance? And how do you define that? So, how do you define art? This is someone's way of
0: expressing whatever they want to express. So, good lord. Anyway, I think yeah. I think the question there is and sort of where art and commerce kind of meet is. Is this film trying to say something about the the human condition? Is it saying something about the the people involved in it, or is it going, "Hey, look at this! You've been going through this. Let's watch these people doing it." It's uh, give, give it's, us money. Yeah, it almost feels like kind of the 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 kind of scary movie and that that kind of rash of spoof films where the the whole punchline seems to be around hey you've seen this film we're doing okay. a slight takeoff on it and that's more commerce than art and that uh, that's i've not seen the trailer I, I i can't i can't sort of say for sure so but um but it does it seems a bit it seems a bit soon and a bit seem- and a bit
2: obvious as well you can kind of tell as well from the uh, the poster i'm just looking at the poster at the moment from michael bay the producer of the Qu- The purge and the quiet place so it's kind of going down that avenue so for yes. a michael bay film it's not like from michael bay i don't think anyone's going who's he yeah. why he's the producer of the purge and The quiet place so what it's basically saying is is hey if you like the right, purge, remember these the quiet place yeah. remember these because this is probably tonally what it's like whereas michael bay's also directed some great films in my opinion that have, what was the one with um John Krasinski in. Oh, that was uh, 13 Hours? 13 Hours. I thought that 13 Hours was terrific. Really underrated Michael Bay movie and that was based on true events and obviously it was sensationalist because it's Michael Bay. It looked cool and looked amazing but that affected me more than other Michael Bay films do. Mm -hmm. And I mean affected I don't mean I didn't come out going, oh my god! (laughs) with a headache. Um, (laughs) But I watched that and everything like that. And if it said from Michael Bay, the producer of 13 Hours, then maybe I'd have been like, okay well maybe this is going down a route that might kind of like try and get some kind of levity to it. it Oh, it's definitely
1: tailored. To to put the audience in a specific mind. I mean, it doesn't you know it doesn't mention I mean, maybe transformers. Pand- it's not putting you down that <laughs> sort yeah.
2: of route. Yeah. Maybe maybe, maybe pandemic films are going to be the new home invasion film. Yeah.
1: I think you, you uh, say that, but that might be true.
2: Yeah, I think so because it's like what what's the thing that scares you? To you know, it's not a supernatural. It's not a ghost. It's not running around in the woods. It's not a log cabin. It's being in your house and being unsafe. Yeah. yeah. Well.
1: On that cheerful note,
2: <laughs> 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 listening to u- listening to us as you lay in bed, yeah, <laughs> and then <laughs> listen to
1: our voices talk about the horrors of the world. Um, uh, so yeah, okay, we've come now to one of our favourite sections of the podcast, and hopefully yours too. And thank you for your suggestions. We have come to the official pitch battle. Pitch. battle. battle. battle.
0: <laughs> you see we said you should do the high note next time it was a time it, uh, yeah, it works yes, <laughs> it
1: works yeah. um yes so here we are scott you must uh you have our people and our thing and oh, our genre good. so
0: give it to I us i will give it to you good so uh, <laughs> <laughs> give it to us good <laughs> give it to yeah <laughs> anyway so after we put a call out for some more suggestions for pitch battle uh i An old friend of mine, Mr. Dave Mustin, uh, came forth with our next selection. And it's quite appropriate because it just happens to link in nicely. It's almost like we've done this on purpose. The the (laughs) actor for this time round is Mr. Bill Murray. Oh, right. Oh. Our item is a banana. And our genre is a film noir. Gentlemen... (laughs) <laughs> you will have five minutes to write your pitches, dear listener. We will be back in literally a couple of seconds, gentlemen. The time is up. It is now time to present your badass pitches.
2: Ooh. <laughs> there you uh, who would like to go first this time? I, I think I went first last time, didn't I? So one of you did. Nose yes. goes.
0: Should we go in reverse order this time? Shall I, shall I go first? Go. A- yes. Excellent. Do it. Okay. So. <clears throat> I've not gone with the, uh, the, the the voiceovers like you guys did last time. Sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> Detective Joe Skins is down on his luck. His last case left him penniless and living out of his office with only a banana left to eat. When his office is broken into and his last meal stolen, his only leads are an ad from a smoothie store and a sassy femme fatale who knows more than she is letting on. Bill Murray in The Night the Banana Split. Very good, very good. Very good. (laughs) Thank you. Christopher?
1: Okay. Yeah, I'm... Yeah. Gird your (laughs) loins and give it
0: to us.
1: (laughs) Okay. All right. Here we go. Here we go. It was a dark and lonely night. The fog poured in at every corner of the street. A scream in the (laughs) distance. (laughs) The sound of sirens. A chalk outline of a courgette. Detective Bill Bunch is on the case. In a ripe for the picking, Bill Murray in, out of the peel. Nice, yeah.
2: Oh no, I feel like I've kind of let down. I haven't got a kind of play on words. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kevin. Okay, give it here we to go. Us. So imagine saxophone. Right. I want you to imagine neon lights oh. and rain, <laughs> as you know, traditional film noir. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Meet Dax O'Brien a private eye with a history p bright neon lights a a murder most horrid n <laughs> nobody saw what happened a another another day for dax n never dig deep a all it takes is one dame dax i'm back b a n a n a Bill Murray's back among the ghosts. Only this time, they're the ghosts of his past. Banana. <laughs> I was actually thinking of getting the uh, get the minions in and be like banana <laughs> <laughs> at the end. I was actually wondering, have I spelled banana? I- I- when you write a word down, yeah. Do- I was wondering, did you do two a's? No, I, I, Ban- banana. How do you spell banana? B A N A yeah You only know
0: that because. Halle Berry. you only know that because of Gwen Stefani. Admit it.
1: B A N A N A. It's like the only the only way I I used to know how to spell the word uh beautiful is from uh Bruce Almighty.
2: B E A. B E A beautiful. i trying to think of other of other films where they kind of spell it out. Oh man. No, can't think of any. That would have been great. Maybe we'll do that. Okay, everyone,
1: you get to chime off in the comments, as per usual, who won this week's banana Battle.
0: And so, before we say goodbye to you again for another week, uh, it's time to add to our steadily growing Tracks of the Trade playlist on Spotify. Now, if you've not had a chance to check out the playlist on Spotify, if you make sure that you're on there and search for either Monkey See, Monkey Review... Or search for tracks of the trade, and you'll be able to find the track list there. You can also follow the okay. playlist, uh, so you get updates when new tracks are added to it. And so, who would like to go first with their track of the trade this week? Well, I'll go. I'll now.
1: go first because mine's fairly okay. straightforward and simple. My track of the trade this week is from uh, the two thousand and seven film. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Now, as I did warn you, listeners, many years ago, when we started this podcast, feels like <laughs> it after lockdown, that Harry Potter was going to crop up a lot. So here's my second offering to you, lovers. Um, it is the first track on the soundtrack of the Order of the Phoenix uh, by Nicholas Hooper, and it's called Fireworks. And it is a rousing change of pace from Hedwig's theme. If I'm not mistaken, it's not the first track... In the film, it's just the first track on the soundtrack. And it's roaring and, 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 and gorgeous and thumping, and it's a good go getem kind of track. And it's, uh, yeah, it's adrenaline filmed, filled. So that's my track of the trade, Fireworks
2: from the Order of the Phoenix. Ooh, lovely. Kev, would you like to go next? Indeed, I shall, yes. My one comes from uh, last year, back oh. when it was a completely different world uh, 2019's Uncut Gems. Or what was it 2018? It was, it, was 2000, it was 2019. It was 2019. Was it was 2019. That's right. Yeah, I saw that at the yeah. London Film Festival. I think there was a huge gap between that and release because I think uh, a lot of it came out in January, didn't it? No. It was, yeah. Was it January? Yeah. It was,
0: was January because that's when I went to see it at the cinema.
2: That's right. Yeah. It's two wowzers. It seems. Yeah. Completely. It, it shows what like lockdown could do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uncut gems So a uh, wonderful score by Daniel uh, low um who does a lot of uh, work with uh, Josh and Benny Safty, because uh, I think he did. Uh, Good time with them as well. Um, It's uh, track one from the Uncut Gems soundtrack. It's called "The Ballad of Howie Bling." And the reason I've chosen this is my favorite track from the album. The album's great anyway, but it's my favorite track because I remember going to watch the film, and I remember sitting there not knowing much about it because obviously it was like it was the surprise film at the film festival. And as soon as it kind of came on, I remember thinking, "Okay, yeah, I know. I I think I know this one. This is it. It's Adam Sander. It's okay. I'm really looking forward to this." And the score automatically kicked in and made me completely change my perspective of what I was about to watch in the matter of a couple of just like a couple of beats of music and I remember thinking this in there going I think I know what this film's going to be like and then the moment I heard the score chime in I was like I've got no idea what this film's going to be like so it shows the power of two you know two parts of music kicking in uh so here we go yeah track one from uncut gems the ballad of howie bling which should be on spotify
0: and if you've not had a two-hour panic attack for a while then i highly recommend you watch uh, uncut gems on netflix now
2: (laughs) we've just had a two-hour panic attack it's called this
0: podcast (laughs) <laughs> and i have gone for a bit of a change of pace as well i've gone for uh, 2011's take shelter uh, it's another one of the films that i've checked out during lockdown oh, yeah. and uh, the uh, the track that i've picked is uh, the track storm shelter uh, it's taken from towards the end of the film and it's a really it kind of beautiful, slightly unsettling at points, but it underscores one of the key moments towards the end of the film. And it just struck me as I was watching this that it would be perfect for Tracks of the Trade because it's one of those pieces of music that just builds and builds and builds and is glorious in the context of the film and really lovely kind of in isolation as well and uh, I'm really glad I I took the time to check that out because I haven't been a big fan of uh, Midnight Special which was another one of Jeff Nichols' films i've really wanted to kind of catch up on his back catalogue so this is my first first step to doing that was to to finally get around to watching take shelter and, uh, and it's a lovely film and just as a little sort of news link to that that it's it's quite appropriate that we talk about jeff nichols because this week uh, whether this comes to pass in the fullness of time that he has been signed on to take on a spin-off of the uh, quiet place movies so it'll be interesting to see what he serious? does with that so- a loud place <laughs> loud places loud places so uh, so yeah so that's uh storm shelter uh, by david wingo from the soundtrack to 2011's take shelter oh rid of me this
2: guy you watched the babadook recently didn't you i did watch the babadook recently oh, yes okay saying nothing more than i'm about to say just a simple yes or no do you think the babadook and take shelter would be a great double bill yes there we go. Thank you very much. <laughs> Find out why by watching them both.
0: Goodness, we've done another one already. And
2: that, that, that feels good. It's
0: nice to be back and it's nice to be doing this. I'm just, yeah, absolutely delighted to be, to be able to keep talking at you again it's it's lovely to be able to, to speak to you as well Christopher because uh, you may not know this we don't Aww. actually get to see each other very much thanks to social distancing so these, these are the best chances to get to talk to each other um, and once again Kev thank you for your, your time your input we've absolutely loved having you joining no, us what? and uh, you are your offer is constantly open for you to come back anytime and,
2: uh, well, and be part thank, of it yeah. you, thanks for having me again Chris I've never met you in person sir but it's been wonderful talking to you once again
1: it has been an absolute pleasure you're very easy on the ears <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh that's good easy on the ears thanks again guys
0: excellent and so all that remains to me to do is uh, we do have a couple of little favors to ask if you listen to the last podcast you will know some of this you might be able to recite it back to us but we are on apple podcasts <laughs> and we are also on spotify as well so you can search monkey see monkey review on both of those monkey see monkey review the podcast uh, if you are on apple podcasts please leave us Uh, a review please leave us a positive one if you so wish or just a star rating it really does mean the world to us to know that people are listening and enjoying it and it also helps uh, mess around with their algorithms and shoves us up the charts a little bit more so any help you can give us would be much appreciated. If you search Monkey Sea Monkey Review on Instagram, uh, we are on there. Please give us a follow. We do little posts every now and again about what we're watching and any movie news. And I'd let you know about upcoming podcasts. Uh, we're also on Twitter at msmrpod. Please give us a listen and a bit of a follow there. And if you want to drop us an email, we are on uh, the email at <laughs> msmrpod at gmail.com. So, once again, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. So, thank you. We hope to see you and speak to you again very soon with another Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. Bye.
2: Cheerio. Bye bye. Cheerio. Bye bye. Ta ta.